So in 1792, the first French Republic decided to do something very daring. Uh, in response to the French Revolution, the, the first French Republic decided to uh, reconfigure their calendar. Instead of using the Gregorian calendar, which we're familiar with, uh, which is the year 2013, they decided to start a whole new calendar, the French Republican calendar. Uh, now, what they did was they uh, started from scratch. Instead of it being the year 1792, it was the year zero again. Instead of a seven-day week, they created three 10-day weeks uh, for each month. Now, why they did this was that they didn't like the old regime. They tried to remove all kind of traces of the old regime, and they didn't like the Christian connotations of the, the way the calendar was, was being uh, uh, conducted before. They wanted to celebrate the age of reason, uh, the, this new age of human enlightenment, uh, scrapping the old. Now, uh, I looked it up, <laughs> this, this age of reason. If we were to continue on the French calendar, today would be the 10th day of the month, uh, Frimer. And the interesting thing the French did is they picked an animal, a vegetable, or a tool for each day of the year. And I looked it up, and today... Interestingly enough, would be the day of the pickaxe. Now, obviously, the French calendar, the French Republican calendar, didn't last. It only lasted about 15 years. It's hard to change things up so dramatically. But I think the French understood the power of calendar. They wanted to, to reorient people. They wanted to change the culture. And they, they knew that how a people tells time has a dramatic effect on how they imagine the world. Now, for us, as we have been speaking about uh, this morning, today is the first Sunday of Advent, and it's a new year in the liturgical church year. Uh, and the church, again, has its own way of telling time. Um, for us, we, we celebrate this season. We, we tell time by remembering that Jesus came in fulfillment of the scriptures. Advent's also a time of looking forward to when Jesus will return. So it's a time for us to look back and to look forward. The calendar helps us remember to do that. It actually helps us know how to be here and now by looking back and looking forward. It's a dance that helps us to be most present now. In our scripture for this morning, which I'm going to read, Paul uh, admonishes the church in Rome uh, to remember what time it is. And that's our invitation this morning as well, to remember what time it is. He says, you know what time it is. How it is now the moment to wake from sleep? So I want you to open up with me uh, to Romans chapter 13. I'll be read, reading verses 8 through 14. I'm actually going to read from the NRSV because I think it gets out a few things better than the NIV this, uh, this time around. But you can follow along in the NIV. It's uh, Romans 13, verses 8 through 14. Paul writes, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is. How is now the moment for you to wake from sleep? For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray again. Lord, I simply ask that you would help us to know what time it is. Pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of of all our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, first I'd like to orient us a little bit uh, in this letter to the Romans. We're kind of jumping right into Romans 13, which is a little bit dangerous to do just to jump right to the end of a letter. So I want to provide a little bit of context. Uh, First of all, I'd like to kind of mention that sometimes the end of Paul's letters get a little bit of short shrift in the church. Uh, This has been my observation, that sometimes we focus kind of more on the the deep theology in the earlier part of, of his letters, and we kind of miss some of these great nuggets at the end of his letter. And uh, one of the things I've discovered is that the end of Paul's letters, the, the latter half of Paul's letters, actually help us interpret the first half. They really help uh, give some interpretive keys to what Paul is talking about. Um, now, this, this passage is in a, um, kind of fits into the, to the framework started in Romans chapter 12, where Paul says, in view of God's mercy... Uh, let us offer up our, our bodies as living sacrifices. So this sort of admonition to, to love our neighbors and to know what time it is falls into that uh, framework of what it means for us to offer up our lives as a living sacrifice. Uh, right before the passage that I just read, uh, there's, Paul discusses submitting to governmental authorities, which is pretty amazing given that he's writing to Romans, to the, the church in Rome, who were, of course, in the seat of the Roman Empire. And this was a a cruel, brutal empire. But even then, uh, even amidst this empire, Paul says, to submit to governmental authorities. And then he kind of has this nimble rhetorical uh, technique. He says, uh, as he admonishes the church to to pay their taxes and to owe no one anything, uh, he moves on to saying, uh, the only thing we we owe is, is to love others to love our neighbors. Love is the outflow of the gospel of Jesus having its way in us, working its way in us. Our indebtedness, our response to Christ is manifested in our love to others. And just as Jesus taught, uh, Paul says that love is the simple command that, that captures all of the Mosaic law. Love fulfills all of the law. And then connected to this, Paul says, it's time to wake up. He says, besides this, it's time to wake up. Because the night is far gone and the day is at hand. Salvation is near to us now than when we first believe. I want you to pay attention to those two verses. Because what they do is they declare a setting. 
a time setting. Whenever a time setting is declared, it should really cause us to pay attention. It helps us know our place in God's story when we know the when and the where. So where are we at? A couple of things here to unpack this verse even further. When Paul says, you know what time it is, I want you to pay attention to that word time. Now we may look at that word time and think, oh, it's like the time that we tell on our watch or the time that we tell on a calendar. Well, uh, in Greek, there's actually two words for, for time. There's the words uh, chronos, which is the kind of time we tell on our watch. It's where we get the word chronology. It's time as sequence. But there's also words uh, kairos, which is, uh, talks about time as being um, a sort of unique moment. Kairos is a fork in the, in the road moment. It's, a, it's thick time. It's where um, something unique breaks through. And Paul uses kairos in this verse. He says, you know what kairos time it is? Another way of saying this is, you know the uniqueness of this moment. So what he's saying is, because what Christ has done in his life, death, and resurrection, there's a unique moment in time for us here and now. We can be different in the world. We can be different with our chronos because of the kairos. Christ has brought about a kairos moment in the midst of Kronos. God's decisive action in Jesus opens up this opportunity. It's like breaking open a new way to be in the world. And Paul admonishes us to wake up to this Kairos moment, to this new way of being in the world. So where are we? We're in a special Kairos moment because of Jesus. Now, Paul gives us another clue about setting uh, a little bit further on. He says, Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Maybe this jumps out at you a little bit. I, at least I know I'm not used to, f- to thinking about salvation in this way. We tend to think about salvation being in the past tense. I've been saved. That's what we often hear. I've been saved. We think of a sort of static, individualistic kind of condition. But that's, that doesn't seem what Paul's uh, that's not what Paul's getting at here. It seems that Paul sees salvation as something that has uh, past connotations, present ones, and future ones. Salvation is something that reaches uh, back to the past, reaches here now in the present, and looks forward to the future. Paul sees salvation as the unfolding of God's plan for us and for the world. It's not just individualistic. Um, again, I'd points you back in Romans a few chapters to get a better sense of what this salvation Paul is talking about is. Again, this will help us get a better sense of the setting. I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 18, verses 18 through 25. Get a sense of this kind of grand view of salvation as being both past, present, and future. Paul writes this. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be reviewed. See how it's about the present, but also about the future? For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption 
and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly, inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons or daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Well, it's kind of a lot there. But the, you, see, you see how it's about waiting? About hoping for a salvation that is to come that's not yet seen? But at the same time, we, we do have the first fruits of the Spirit. And in, 20, in 8.24, there is the past tense of save, uh, saved. For in this hope we were saved. So in this passage, Paul speaks of salvation that is both here and now, but is not yet, and that is not yet complete. Creation's groaning in labor pains. We're groaning in labor pains. We were saved in hope of what's to come. We're saved even as we look forward to salvation. So we're at this kairos kairos moment that Jesus has ushered in, and we are in this in-between moment at the same time. We are in the overlap of two epochs, of two ages. We have creation that's in bondage to decay, yet Christ has broken into that and has given us a glimpse of the life that is to come. This is hard to picture how this works, how there's two overlapping times in the midst of our present right here and now. Paul uses a helpful analogy. He talks about the dawn of a new day in our passage for this morning. Um, it's that time of morning where it's not quite day, yet it's not quite night anymore. Uh, I love being up at this time of morning. It's hard first getting up, you know, out of bed, but I love being up bright as the light starts to come up. It's still dark, but you can kind of see the hue change. This, on Sunday mornings, I'm usually up at that time. So I'm trying to write my sermon right before church and you need the time. I'm serious, I am. <laughs> uh, kind of. <laughs> but it's, a, it's an amazing time because it's, it's not quite day and it's not quite light. But you know that as the sun just peeks over the horizon, you know what's coming. You know that night has, hasn't a chance. Those waiting for morning through the night Rejoice in hope because of the light that's peeked over the horizon. Paul's saying that uh, in, this, in this kind of overlap between the ages, between the epochs, uh, that we are to have hope because light has dawned in Christ. The bright light of day is coming. The day of the Lord is coming when Christ will return. And Scripture speaks of this. He'll make all things new. He's going to come to judge the living and the dead. Darkness and death will be swallowed up in Christ's victory. That's the hope to which Paul writes. Yet we find ourselves, again, in that in-between time. We're in the midst of it. The scripture read uh, at the beginning of the service during the lighting of the Advent candles is a, is a prophecy from Isaiah. Um, and it points to this as well. This is the day of, for which we hope. 
Um, Isaiah uh, prophesies, He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn more, war anymore. It speaks of the reign of Christ that is coming. But we live here now. We live in the midst of labor pains. We live at that juncture between night and day. The kingdom is here, but not yet, is a way that's often phrased. And as we well know, there's a lot of darkness around. There's a lot of death around. But at the same time, we have hope, because light always overcomes darkness. Whenever you light a match in a dark room, that darkness can't hide that light that the match provides. Continuing this analogy of light, Paul goes on in our passage um, to speak, uh, to admonish us to, to put on the armor of light, to put on Jesus Christ, to be a sign of that coming dawn. And I, lo- I love this metaphor. Uh, I love the metaphor of light, and I love the metaphor of armor. And you've got to remember, he's writing this to the Romans, who were surely very familiar with the armor that Roman uh, soldiers would wear. He's kind of subverting the military language in Rome, saying there's a better kind of armor. There's the armor of light. That armor is Jesus himself who is with you. And that helps us in this in-between time. So Christ has come. He's brought, brought about this Kairos moment. And we look forward to the time when he returns, and we're right here. But it's not like Jesus is not with us. He's with us. We get to be beacons. We get to be points of light because he is with us. We put on him. We put on his armor. So what does it mean for us practically, though, here and now? This was written almost 2,000 years ago, yet this in-between time lingers. We're still at that juncture between night and day. Well, again, it's really important to connect this kind of second half of the passage with the first half, which is Paul's admonishment to love our neighbors. That's how we're to be light in this time. Again, we, because of the Kairos moment, because of Christ, we get to create with the Kronos. It's helpful for me to think of time as like this pliable material, like clay or something like that. And God's given us this time to receive as a gift. And he says, take this time, this pliable stuff, and do with it uh, what I command. In your command, my art commission for you is to love. Is to love your neighbor. Whatever that looks like in your context, he says, love. That's how you're going to be a beacon of my light. That's how the law is summed up, is in loving your neighbor. We follow the example of Jesus in laying down our, our lives for the sake of others. It's important to remember that love is tangible. It's, it's real. It's not just like a disposition. You can always uh, see love at work. It, it's something we do with our bodies. We provide presence to people. We provide words of encouragement. We uh, under, undertake acts of service. We pray. 
Again, looking back in Romans just a chapter, Paul gives some real tangible instructions on what it means to love our neighbors. He says in 12.13, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony. Don't be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Be the light of love wherever you are in this time where darkness is still yet lingering. Now, it's interesting the things that Paul warns against, reveling and drunkenness, debauchery, licentiousness, quarreling, jealousy. Now, what all these things do is they point back to our desires. These are the things that are the person turned in on himself. These are the things that is opposed to love because they're so self-directed. They're about our desires, whereas love's about meeting the needs of the other. But our ultimate guide is love. So receive this gift of time and create lovingly with it. Because of the kairos, create with the chronos. You can sound smart when you say that. I don't mean to sound, sound like that. But it's a gift. Secondly, I, I, I think how to be in this in-between time. Uh, we practice the discipline of anticipation. We, we are people of hope. We know what time it is. We know what's coming. This time of year, we have this kind of communal discipline of anticipation. I love this time of year. I love the smells and the sounds and the sights, the lights, the red coffee cups, whatever it is. It's like we practice this discipline of anticipation. And you know what? I think sometimes we enjoy the anticipation more than the actual day itself. At least, I, I know, it just is great. We enjoy this anticipation. Um, so Advent's a time for us to remember, to anticipate the coming of our Lord. This is a day to look forward to. Just as Christ has come, he will come again. We want to reflect the kingdom of that coming king in our own lives. This is what it means to be people of hope. We're all motivated by our future. We live kind of into our future. It's, it's how we work as humans. The question is not if you have a longed-for future, but what is your longed-for future? You can find this by simply asking yourself this question, or answering this question. I can't wait until blank. Just to think how you would answer that right now. I can't wait until blank. And don't think until the sermon's over. Wouldn't blame you, but I, so I can't wait until what? That's where your hope is. I had a friend, I had a friend named Jen, uh, who I I knew before I married Jill. She she was she was married, and she was telling me about her path to marriage, and she told me this story of something she had to repent of, and it just boggled my mind when I heard it. She said she was so excited to marry her husband Nate that she had to repent because she wanted that future. She, she was desiring that more than she desired Jesus' return. Like, you got to repent of that? That's kind of weird. Like, I, who thinks of that when they're getting married? Um, 
But I think there's real truth in that. She realized that the way for which to have a vital marriage is actually to have your hope in the source of all hope, which is Jesus. She realized to have the best present was to know, to have your hopes in the, in the future that's the truest future, the future that's coming. That's, that's the secret um, for actually being present is knowing what's ahead. Um, it's not wrong to hope for other things, but we need to find those things within the source of all hope. They find the right place there. And finally, I ask you, what's, how do you want your story to end? Where do you find the end of your story? Maybe you are here this morning and you're thinking your story's kind of a tragic one or, or maybe a boring one or, or maybe good but not great. But now's the moment, whoever you are, to wake up from sleep. Know that there's a better ending available to you because of Jesus. There's a better story, a better ending. You can leave that old story for, for this one. The good news is that Christ has shown that there's a great ending ahead for those of us who would choose it who would put our trust in him. They would throw our lot in with Jesus. Death doesn't even end this story. So you're invited. It will come to pass. And as you find your role in this story, you're invited in the power of Christ to simply love. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, in this crazy time of year, there's so many different hopes and expectations. I pray you would give us the grace to know the hope that is in you. And Jesus says, we remember your coming. Help us to look with joyful anticipation at your coming again. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.